hopefully we will leave you inspired to warrior on as well as highly informed about something new. I'm so excited about today's podcast. I am talking to Michael Niss, a California board licensed acupuncturist and herbalist practicing in Los Angeles. He is the director of Universal Family Wellness Clinic uh, with his wife, Brooke Niss. Uh, Hi, Michael. Hi, Jackie. And Michael is very special to me um, because he has been treating me on and off uh, the entire time since I got my rashes for for over four years ago yeah before we even knew what was going on before we knew it was going on um we thought it might be syphilis <laughs> uh and so michael is just is very very special to me um so thank you so much for being willing to talk to us about acupuncture and cupping and uh east asian medicine and all things in between <laughs> thank you so much for having me on it's really an honor to speak with you on your podcast Thanks. So tell me, uh, just side note before we get talking about all that good stuff, since you've met me four years ago, what has, um, what have you noticed about Lyme disease in your clinic? Yeah. Well, in the last years, since we've started the clinic, even, um, we've seen so many more cases of Lyme coming in. Um, and what's interesting about it is how different of a journey each person is on. And so what we've learned about it is just how to really meet a person where they are in their Lyme journey, you know, whether they're in the diagnostic phases or in the chronic phases or they're in the chronic phases, but they still haven't gone through the diagnostics and what part of their treatment they're in, as well as what other physicians or healers they're seeing so that we can best fit into that program. And so what we've learned is a lot about the disease itself and how spirochetes damage the body and what that leads to in co-infections and all of that medical stuff. But also we've learned a lot about the medical advocacy that's required for these types of patients. Mm. Yeah, as well as seeing, yeah, just more and more all the time. You're seeing more and more. Mm. And in Southern California, you know, I just ran into somebody the other day who told me that there is no Lyme in Southern California, again, actually in California, and we know that it's pretty rampant actually up north, but, um, you know, it shocked me that there is still that, that misconception. Mm -hmm. So are you seeing, you're seeing people that are getting, well, you know, I don't, I can't honestly speak to the where people are getting Lyme from and what the patterns are regionally. Right. I can certainly say that a lot of people who live in Los Angeles and work around here come to our clinic with Lyme disease. I, if I just draw some of the more recent stories, it's pretty eclectic, you know, where people got them right. combined with the people who don't know right. where they got it at all combined with the people who have several suspects, but no exact, uh, you know, moment when they, notice the rash or whatever of course of course um but yeah it does seem like it's becoming more prevalent at least in the frequency of visitors coming to our clinic with the complications of it yeah right and acupuncture has been such such an amazing um uh support for me through the journey uh and i always say that i am the perfect person to talk about how great acupuncture is because i hate it yeah, <laughs> yeah i think that's so funny i hate but you come so it, regularly and yeah. i come because the effects are worth it to me and none of it feels good until after like yeah. i I sweat, the needles hurt. I. <laughs> it's hard to hear that, you know, as a practitioner, because we want to so have you enjoy 
the treatment. But ultimately, it's nice to hear you say that because it really just points to how much benefit you're getting from it, even though you have to endure, you know, a few pokes here and there. But I do, I would like to say, because we have the opportunity to people listening to hear that, that your experience is very unique. And that yeah. most people actually, they come in here and they barely feel anything and they rest for 45 minutes and then we do massage after and they just love the experience. Yeah, um, Michael yeah. says, please rest yeah, please when he rest. leaves the room. And I'm like, um, that doesn't, that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, people fall asleep during acupuncture all the time. And, and I love um, the experiences of cupping and, and massage, which we'll get to later. But anyway, the effects are so brilliant in my life that, that it's, um, I'm coming tomorrow morning. Like I, 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 we're so lucky to have you greatly benefit. So, um, so you're a certified acupuncture and herbalist and, and acupuncture is getting more and more popular, right? Over the last, uh, decade, I guess, in Western society at least. And, um, it's been popular for, (laughs) No, you're right. Right. Yeah, it's growing in popularity quite a bit. Even so much so that insurance is, it, over the last decade, probably started to mm-hmm. pay for acupuncture and um, covering more treatments. Um, but yeah. I, th- yeah. To the extent even that um, the state of California, for all of its, you know, and this this environment is, of course, changing with healthcare, but currently almost every um, health insurance plan that satisfies the government requirement does cover acupuncture to some extent. Oh, wow. Yeah. So each plan is different with the deductibles and the co-pays and such. Um, but yeah, it's widely covered here in the state. Wow. A lot of people don't really understand. They know about acupuncture. They don't really understand what it is or how it works or why. Um, and what's really interesting is that I, I think there's also a misconception that it's something that's studied on its own. And you helped me break down that that conception and that it's actually a part of a component of a much larger, um, study of East Asian medicine, right? Truly. So what is, so what is, when you go to study, what are you studying in East, East Asian medicine? Well, in, uh, in respect to the education, um, it's a master's degree that takes about three and a half years to complete. Um, it's an immense amount of coursework because you have to learn all the fundamentals of being a doctor um, and all the Western physiology and you have to know about pharmacology so that you know how the herbs interact with medicines. And then on top of that, you have to learn all the acupuncture and the herbs as well. Um, and in practice, what I think you're speaking to is how it's not just the needles. You know, in your acupuncture visit, you get a diagnosis and a treatment plan that does include needles but also includes nutrition and body work and um, supplementation and advice against your whatever lab values you're showing. And and every acupuncturist is going to always be able to do all of those things. Uh, for the most part, you know, the especially in California, but also nationwide, uh, the testing and licensure for acupuncture is very rigorous. So not only do you have to get this really extensive degree, but you have to pass a super hard test that takes eight hours to take and um, it's just there to help make sure that everyone who's licensed initially is very well qualified to safely practice. As far as every person knowing, you know, deeply about every attribute of acupuncture, that's specifically not the case just because there is so much of this tradition to really learn and it takes so many years to master that people specialize, 
you know and so for the most part yeah everyone is taught how to um, help provide nutritional advice and herbal supplementation and the acupuncture and the body work um, but some people know a little bit more about one way or the other and that's those are the main components of uh, of of Eastern Asian medication is or treatment is nutrition, body work, acupuncture, and herbs. Mm-hmm. And then even to uh, to to a greater extent, um, qigong and meditation, mm-hmm. and um, you know lifestyle habits, just general little tidbits that that help out as well. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's makes sense when you think about where it comes from because acupuncture is so old that several thousand years ago, it's not like there were six kinds of medicine that you could get Reiki healing or acupuncture or go see a physician. It was that the doctors at the time all were acupuncturists and herbalists. That's what the medicine was. How old is it? Well, acupuncture is roughly 3,000 years old, debatably older, you know, depending on how specifically verified you want to get with the examples. Oh, wow. And cupping is thought to be as old as 5,000 years old. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I thought cupping was a new trend. It definitely is. Yeah, <laughs> things come back around, don't they? Oh wow! Tell us first, what is the, what is acupuncture? Sure, sure. Yeah, let's start at the beginning. Acupuncture is, um, in its current definition, um, where a practitioner uses fine needles to insert um, on special, particular acupuncture points on the body that are all. Um, mapped out on the 12 major acupuncture meridians and we use the particular needles to help balance the body's blood flow and neural signals and chi flow which we call the life energy of the body so if somebody come to give an example we can use me actually as an example and just for the listeners i have already approved that michael um release any medical information about me i've given him full permission to talk about my my case and my journey um uh, if i come in you um you first look at, listen to my pulse and look at my tongue which is something that you're trained to do and you've listened to thousands of pulses and and looked at thousands of tongues so you have a pretty good idea of what's going on in the body depending on what you see um and then i say you know i uh, have a lot of pain uh i have a lot of headaches lately mm-hmm where, what do you, what is the, what do you think? What yeah, is the treatment? That's, that's a common setup. You know, when any person comes in, we do take a look at their tongue to see what it looks like and to see how it's changed maybe from the last time you've came. And then we feel your pulse for several minutes to see what it might be telling us. The tongue has a coating, the tongue has the body color, and the tongue also has a general shape to it that changes and can show little hints about what imbalances are going on in the body. So for example, if the tongue is very pale, that can point to a person being slightly anemic. And if a person's coming in, let's say, like you said, with frequent headaches and they are anemic, they might be suffering from a deficiency of blood or nutrients that might be causing the headaches that they're having. So there's the tongue giving a signal that would help identify what would best serve that person to get rid of the headaches. And the pulse is very similar, only it's even a bit harder to study. It takes a lot of practice to just find the nuances in the pulse. And what we do is we take our first three fingers and put them on the patient's wrist um, in a particular location to feel how the rhythms of the pulse and the strengths of it are doing that day. 
And what's unique about that is you're assessing how the person's presenting right in that moment that day. So you're saying this in this example that you have a lot of headaches and where would we put the needles and how would we go about that? And it has to do with what your health history is and what your diagnosis is like in any other medicine, but it also has to do with where you are just that day. So that if we were treating you for headaches this week and we treated you again next week, the treatment might shift a little bit based on what your body's telling us, which is one of my favorite parts of the medicine Mm. because it pays respect to how a person is a little different each day, you know, and even when you get a sore throat or a cold or flu, you know, it's only going to be, you know, four or five days it's going to last, but each one of those days is going to be quite different. You know, the first day your throat hurts so bad and the second day every your fevers and everything and the third day you feel a little better and then the fourth day you're, it's almost gone. Like you had a sore throat that whole time, but it shifted and changed. Right. So then in the headache example, after we take your tongue and pulse and sort of listen to what the body's telling us and where there might be an imbalance, we'll choose um, based on the knowledge of what each of the acupuncture points does. And, you know, there's 300 plus points all over the body. So you... It, it takes quite a while to learn all the nuance of what each point does in respect to how it balances the pulse and can help a person's headaches, for example. So we will choose, you know, 10, 15 needles, maybe even as few as four, maybe in as many as 25, 30. It, it really depends on the practitioner's style of practice and the presentation you're coming across with that day. We'll put the needles in, patient will rest for about 25 minutes, and we'll take them out. Right, right. Do you... um yeah, and I've had, and it's interesting with the acupuncture points too. Some of them really hurt, and or not, maybe not for other people, but for me. And and you'll always know. You'll say like this one, this one is gonna hurt. Take a deep breath. Yes, it is important to be open that some of the points do hurt. It's but common, why? Why do some well, of the points often where the location is, and often how much that point is needed to be needled? Honestly, that's um, that's the interesting thing to me. Mm-hmm. That's why I always think it's interesting when you know because you say like this is what's really going on for you right now, and so you'll probably feel it right. more intensely. Right, it's almost as if yeah, when people have. Um, strong tension in their neck causing headaches there's an acupuncture point on the wrist that is very good for that and often that wrist point will be very tender when the neck tension is especially strong in correlation with each other yeah right um right because uh, contrary to popular belief it's it, there are different parts of the body that um, even in massage, right? Like if you have a headache, it's actually, uh, whatever your foot that needs the massage and it'll release the headache. It's always, it's not the head. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's, it's the body's way of providing access, you know, to hard to reach parts of the body from afar. You know, you can massage your feet real easily, but massaging your head in certain areas or deep inside your head can be challenging. So the brain has neurological tissue and fascial tissue that connects every single part of the body together. So in many ways, the computers are like this. You know, it's not the case that every time your computer breaks, you have to open it and go in there and change something on the hardware. You access the computer from the keyboard and you have someone go in there and reprogram things. So you're accessing the internal mechanisms of a computer from the keyboard, which is a distal device. And the body's that same way, using your foot and some special neurological reflexing acupuncture types of points in the feet to release your head makes sense when you think about it that way. 
Because the neurological system is not one way. It's not just the brain tells the foot to move. The foot also tells the brain a tremendous amount about what's going on mm. on the ground and with its systems as well. So That's so interesting. So what happens when, like, for example, I get a needle put in a certain part of me and then I immediately feel, and I'm very sensitive, and I... Um, have had a lot of practice, you know, feeling and listening to my body. So I immediately feel a great release in that area. Um, and then like 20 minutes in, probably I start to tighten again around that area. Is that normal? That is usually your body releasing the tension that's in that area. You know, when you put a needle, especially in a really tense muscle system, um, you're using a metal needle and putting it into a water-based muscle system that uses chemical electricity to work. So by putting that metal needle in there, you're kind of disrupting that signal. And so initially, yeah, you'll have a relaxing of the muscle. And then over time, the needle, the muscle will relax more completely, and sometimes you'll have cramping along that muscle pathway as, as it's releasing. But oh. that's especially why we do cupping and massage. Right. And I, I really do want to get to, uh, to that. Cause I love, I actually love the cupping, um, and the massage that cupping does not, um, I'm not as sensitive to it, but, uh, but it, again, like people always ask, what is cupping? Cupping is sort of like this, this stylish trend now in LA where sure. people are like wearing the bruises on their back. Like it's, you know, the latest fashion statement. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've noticed that as well. It's so funny. It's nice. Um, it makes it easier to explain. People are a little less foreign to it because if you are never seen it, it can be a little bit shocking just because it leaves bruises on you. But right. cupping is basically um, where we use glass or sometimes plastic suction cups and we create a suction and then put the cups on the skin so that it can pull on the muscle tissue. It sort of acts similar to how a hickey would act on the neck. You know, someone sucks on your neck and you get a little bruise and this redness there. The same thing happens on your back when you put the suction cups there. What's positive about that is the body registers that redness and that bruising as an injury so that then the immune response can go to that local area and service the tissue. So if you put cups on your shoulder, you'll get a bruise on your shoulder. The body will go to heal that bruise and then serve all the muscle tissue around it as well. Mm. In, in conjunction with that, the cupping is also providing this very strong suction to pull the muscle tissue away from the body, which is a hard thing to do when you're manually manipulating the body. You know, whether it's chiropractics or massage or tuena, acupuncture massage, you're pushing on the body and you're rubbing and you're always applying pressure towards the body for the most part. It's really hard to pull someone's sort of skin away from them without hurting them, but the cups offer a really great opportunity to do that. So you can help provide um, release along the spine or really tight muscles on the back or even around the knee. So oh, around the knee, you yeah, can do it. Yeah, if you put oil around the joint, the cups will stick onto the to the harder to get spaces like the knees and the elbows and stuff, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think your knee has ever hurt enough for us to do to a do knee treatment specifically, but we can, we can try it. Sometime. But my knees like. always hurt. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I love cupping on my back, but so people always say when you ask them in LA what cupping is, that it's, that it pulls the toxins from your body. Mm -hmm. That's the first response it's, from yes. people, from people that are not practitioners, which makes sense. Right. You know, um, suction. So it, 
it seems like it would suck something out of your skin. But is it? It's not. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, because what's, what is not occurring is <laughs> things actually getting sucked out of your body. I mean, you don't bleed. There's no, you know, you do have pores on your skin, which are little holes and you are putting suction there, but nothing, nothing is so, so small that it could get through there. Like some toxin, for example, you are breaking a lot of capillaries. That's the definition of a bruise is broken capillaries under the skin. So you break these little capillaries and you do have a release then of that blood that has to get reassimilated and recirculated. And so by uh, virtue of that bruising, you are going to release some of the muscle metabolites like lactic acids and different uh, chemicals from the normal functioning of the muscles. And yeah, probably some toxins too as a result of the immune system flooding into the area to just heal the bruise and otherwise. So it's not sucking toxicity out of your skin <laughs> into the cup so to speak <laughs> but it is igniting immune response and breaking some capillaries and causing some healthy blood circulation that results in a detoxifying effect so that's why i don't think you have the practitioners going all over you know telling everyone to correct that sure so, sure you know, sure so it's, it's a it is a misnomer but right it's, it's not completely yeah. incorrect mm -hmm. um but you you how long do you study cupping for in school like cupping is such an easy thing to do you take a quick class on it for the safety of it mostly of when not to do it you know there's certain cases when people are truly um exhausted and deficient in their case and you don't do cupping in that time there have been times in your case where you've come in in such a state where we often decide or will decide it's not a good idea to do cupping because your system is not strong enough to handle that because it is a minor injury. Right. So the, um, the cupping, however, is not just an East Asian tradition. Um, there are South American and Eastern European cultures that have been doing cupping for hundreds and hundreds of years as well. I'm not so familiar with how far back those traditions actually go, but one of the interesting things working here in Los Angeles with such a diverse community is that we see people from all over the world who don't know at all what acupuncture is, and we have to sort of bring them up to speed on that, but they know all about cupping because maybe they're from Romania and mm. their grandma used to do cupping on them, or they're from South America and their grandma used to do cupping and give them strange herbs or whatever. Sure. And so that's one of the reasons we like cupping. And we, you know, cupping is something people can do at home. You can buy cupping sets, and oh, yeah. Most traditionally, it's done with glass cups, and we use a a cotton ball that is ignited to create the vacuum and the suction. But you can buy kits, you know, online that use a suction cup, a uh, suction pump, I mean, oh. plastic cups. So there's no fire involved. There's no glass involved. And yeah. yeah, I definitely have no interest in doing that at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things you can do at home. That's just much more pleasurable to do in the clinic because you're laying there yeah. and it ripens you for massage so perfectly because to do cupping and then massage is it's a perfect combination so at home yes it's a wonderful thing to do for your chronic pain but it's no. nothing like going in so a session with michael you get i get uh, acupuncture and cupping and then a massage and herbal treatment if i need it um yes and that's what an amazing appointment in an hour I have to say my favorite parts are the cupping and the massage <laughs> parts. And the first time you ever gave me herbs, Chinese herbs, um, I 
had thought I'd never in my life tasted something as disgusting <laughs> as true. that. Um, and that I, it was four years ago. And at this point in my life, I've had so many disgusting things that like the herbs don't taste like anything to me. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Have you had anything worse than the things I've given you? Um, or Chinese herbs pretty holding the bar of it's bitter. pretty up there I'm, I'm honored to hear that i'm really glad <laughs> I, I would like to try the day that you find something more bitter and awful than the chinese herbs i'd please bring it in i like will it that's a out. really good question yeah. i because i have had so many really truly disgusting things yeah. um but but i i don't think that anything is compared although at this point i'm pretty used to it and um I don't need to put stevia in in them anymore or anything like that. Yeah, um, you told me that the first time. So what are um, you have many different herbs? You have like a whole plant medicine facility here, and it's mm -hmm. wonderful and beautiful. And is that what are your favorite parts of the practice? Do you love mixing the herbs and? Thank you for asking that. Yeah, the herbs are. Practicing the herbs in the way we do, I'll just so that everyone understands what we do is we have a big wall with hundreds, probably 350 different single herbal species in each bottle so that we can custom design the herbal formula for the patient. Um, and what's so incredibly fun about it is you have these 300 different choices, so to speak, and not just that, but how much of each one to put in and they have different functions when they're mixed together. And so you can consider all of that when you're making the formula for someone. And so if they have headaches, you can give them a headache formula and combine those herbs that's commonly used for when people have a headache. But that patient might also have some digestive health concern or they might be fatigued all the time. And you can then custom blend their formula to take that into account. So they're not just taking this headache formula that's common and maybe a herbal traditional formula for thousands of years. You're also taking into account all of the different parts of their health picture. And it's fun. I mean, it's it's comparable to if someone was a painter and they had people come to them and say, paint me a picture for me. And the <laughs> painter had every color imaginable to paint this picture just for that one person. And it would be a one-time picture that just came from the inspiration of that person right in that moment. And the painter never knew what they were gonna paint. They would just paint what that person brought to them in an inspirational sense. And the herbs are a lot like that. Um, so it's so fun. Even if you only treat one health syndrome, it's say you only treat headaches. You're a headache doctor of herbs. Each herbal formula is still going to be different. And each patient is going to present such a different physiology that it never, never gets boring. Right. Yeah. And so I, I see you making the herbs and I see you having a lot it's of fun. So fun. <laughs> and it's like endless because you can get to whatever depth you want to with the herbs. Like ginger, for example, you can be you can be a, the hobby herbalist and just be like, oh yeah, ginger when my tummy hurts and ginger when I think I'm getting sick, make ginger tea. And then you can get to the, the, the sort of herbal medicine level where maybe you make a ginger tincture, you know, and then the next thing... What is you, a ginger tincture? Well, a tincture versus of Versus a ginger tea. Yeah, that's, yeah. A good, that's a good question. Um, ginger tea is basically, you know, you take raw ginger, you maybe grate it or slice it up, put it in hot or boiling water and take the herbs out and then you have ginger tea. You could also use a make a tincture, which is a little bit of a stronger way of extracting um, the constituents and parts of the ginger um, longer over time. So you would take ginger and fill it 
in a jar, and then you would fill that jar with alcohol of a particular percentage, something above 30%. And then over the course of six to eight weeks, the chemical constituents of the ginger would come out into the alcohol, and then you could take drops of the alcohol as a tincture, as an extract. Um, and then with ginger, you could also go even up another level and do like as part of a custom herbal formula. But from a practitioner sense, you can continue to discover ginger your entire life. For example, you could learn the pharmaceutical functions of it. You can learn the Chinese herbal functions of it. You can learn the Western herbal functions of it. You can learn how in a tincture, when it's in alcohol, how it has different functions afterwards, or when it's boiled in water, it has different functions. So even in one single plant, you have so many different avenues to pursue, and there are thousands of plants. Right. There so are thousands it's of plants. A lifetime of just discovery. And I've learned this through, you know, a lot of my Lyme treatment was herbal uh, based. And um, you've always said that it was so great that from the start, I was attacking Lyme from both Western and Eastern um, uh, standpoints. And uh, I did a lot of herbs and I sometimes you buy them like for cat's claw, for example, is one of the most popular um antimicrobial herbs right mm -hmm. so i can you can buy that in a capsule or i can get it from you powdered um and like is there a difference in that uh yes there is um the, the that's a little bit of a broad question just because you know the ones you buy in the store in and of themselves are quite different you know you might have a pill of cat's claw that's on the back it says cat's claw powder which means that's the herb that's then dried, that's then ground into a powder and put into a capsule. So it's essentially straight plant material. Okay. You could then have another pill, maybe that's a tablet of cat's claw, that's an, and on the back it says cat's claw extract five to one. So in that one, you're getting the extraction of what's in the cat's claw made it then into a pill. And it's concentrated five to one, so it's much, much stronger. Than, oh, it's stronger yeah, than the than powder. That, than okay. that capsule of powder, yeah. So in that instance, even just there at the store, they look so similar, but you have such a different, um, you have such a different potency of each right. one. And in the, in the ones we sell here in the clinic, for example, cat's claw, we sell it as an herbal extract powder. So it's a water-based extract five to one powder, which is very potent way to prescribe them. Um, an extract powder. So yeah. you can, you can extract and then make a powder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way they do that is they, it's almost as if, you know, when you leave water boiling, it just boils away eventually. Mm -hmm. And it's how you thicken soup, you know, you let it boil the water out. And so they'll make big giant vats of tea and then they'll boil it until the water continues to evaporate. They'll add, you know, non-GMO organic potato starch and then allow it to evaporate even more. And what you're left with is this powder that's the herbal tea mixed with this potato starch with no water. So it's like this powdery substance oh yeah and it's helpful because it's the shelf life is a long time and you can then mix it with other herbs and mix it with water so it makes it quite convenient oh interesting yeah so what is your what, what some of your favorite herbs and biggest suggestions to people let's say with um with lime let's say sure with lime you really want to learn about two categories of supplementation and one is antimicrobials and the other is nourishing tonic type of herbs because those are the most common combinations that people come in with that then say what helped them. And so in the antimicrobial category for Lyme, you know, you, if you type in herbs for Lyme on the internet, you'll get 
you go through the top 10 things that are on there and they all have 80% of the same herbs on there. But honeysuckle is an incredibly important one because honeysuckle is lesser known in the Lyme community. It's yeah. just lesser um, utilized because it's a Chinese herb more predominantly and a lot of the pioneering herbalists for Lyme disease like uh, Stephen Buner. Buner, for example. Yes, yeah. thank you for reminding me. Cowden. And yeah, and these other people who have written, you know, sort of the the first books on the topic, you know, that people really are still utilizing a lot today, they're Western-minded herbalists. So they're not, in general, as familiar with a lot of the Chinese herbs, even though a lot of those herbs, for example, the polygonatum cuspidatum that contains reverit- resveratrol, Japanese knotweed. Oh, Japanese knotweed, yeah. <laughs> that one all the time. And that's a Chinese herb. That's That comes from the East Asian herbal tradition. But honeysuckle, in Chinese called jininhua, is the flower of the honeysuckle plant. And it is the one you're thinking of. It's the plant that you can pull the little flower off and bite the back of it, and there's like a little drop of sweet nectar in there that tastes like honey. That's why they call it honeysuckle. And um, this particular species, it's the Japonica. So if anyone listening is interested, because when you get into plant language, you can't speak only in common names. It's not appropriate. Um, Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, you'll end up buying the wrong thing. For example, if someone has Lyme disease and they want to take mint, mint, there's 50 species of mint that you might procure. Mm. And when you're dealing with medicine, certain species are the ones that, attack certain functions so for example um japanese knotweed is a particular species plant but if you just went around saying knotweed who knows if you get the european variety or the japanese variety and if you get the european variety it's not as effective as treating spirochetes and the co-infections of lyme i see wow um yeah earth is just abundant isn't it it's so abundant wow what was i was saying before i think i we were talking about antimicrobial honeysuckle honeysuckle Honeysuckle. absolutely and so honeysuckle is antiviral it's antibacterial it's antifungal and so it's sort of in and of itself a broad spectrum antimicrobial it has been shown to be helpful in combination with other herbs against the spirochete types of bacteria like lyme um, I haven't read much or seen, experienced much of just honeysuckle all by itself um, being capable of attacking that. But that's the thing with these challenging pathogens is you have to expose them to an array of antimicrobials that ver- vary over time so that they don't adapt and they continue to be confused by the barrage of the different yeah. constituents. Lime is very smart and mm-hmm. it hides. So it can figure out what it needs to hide from and hide from it. Exactly. But if you are um, attacking it with all of these different things, it, it has to, it, it eventually um, gets outsmarted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It runs out of hiding spots. And, and this herb, I like when I speak in general terms to many people who might be listening, I don't, I don't like to be too specific in terms of recommending herbs that are too strong you know Mm, and honeysuckle what's amazing about it is its clinical function strength is very very high but it's not very dangerous right you you can take it for longer periods of time um you would want to consult a health practitioner if you were considering taking either high doses or taking it for long periods of time but it's safe enough to recommend people to try right you always want to consult a practitioner (laughs) always 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 um what is your favorite herb for something everybody wants immune support yeah sure and this also plays to the other type of thing i recommend to Lyme people in the the nutrient category and that's reishi mushroom it's Mm -hmm. just famous you know it's it's kind of a 
hyped up herb. You know, people know about reishi and it's in all kinds of stuff, but it's actually not as expensive as people think. If you just buy reishi mushroom, dried reishi mushroom from somewhere, you might have a, a local herb store, or like a local um, herbalist, like an acupuncturist might carry it. Or I know you can get it online um, and you buy just dried reishi mushroom and it's this, it's like a hard giant mushroom and you kind of break it into a few pieces and you slowly boil it for two hours drink the tea of it and that's one great way you can also make a simple tincture at your house you can look up online how to do that it's like mushroom bone broth yeah like so mushroom bone broth exactly you can uh yeah that's so a good way to put it yeah. mushroom is something that uh everyone suggests for for immune immune mm. support so you can give a powder though you can give a reishi mm-hmm. powder herb yeah, you can take reishi powder. you can take uh you can buy them in capsule form mm-hmm. um and you can eat more mushrooms mm. right mushrooms in general yeah reishi mushroom is not such a pleasurable one to eat just because it's much more bitter but you're right about that in that mushrooms as a health food category are great for the immune system the the one type of person who might not want to just jump right into too much mushrooms is someone who is afflicted by a lot of candida or fungus in their body some, oh some mushrooms sure. you want to eat a little bit less of and some more of but in general Mushrooms have beta-glucan, which is immunostimulatory. Mushrooms have vitamin D because Mm. most plants don't have uh, vitamin D in them just because they don't have the same cellular uh, metabolism as things that breathe oxygen. You know, they have a vegetarian source of D, whereas mushrooms have D3, which is the mammalian form. Fascinating. Which is interesting because mushrooms are not plants. They're fungi. Plants breathe carbon dioxide and have a totally different life system. And a fungus, they had to give them a special life category because they're not animalia or insects. They're not plants. And so mushrooms are such a very unique life force that we should always be eating them because they contain nutrients that are rare to the the majority of the other things we eat. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't really love eating mushrooms, but I <laughs> but I try to. Um, I love that idea of, of making the the broth, the tea. Mm-hmm. I prefer to think of it as a broth. Yeah, and <laughs> rather than mushroom tea. Mushrooms, you know, go well actually in blended soups. Mm. You know, you can use like the little gnocchi Japanese mushrooms or white criminy mushrooms, and if you're making a soup that you're going to end up blending. You could take when, you know, when you're sauteing the onions and garlic for your soup base, you could throw the mushrooms in then. And then what you end up doing, you end up blending the whole soup anyway. You make some like, you know, butternut squash pureed soup and the mushrooms just get blended right in. Right. So another another category that people always want to know about herbs and, and supplementation is like wellness and overall wellness and happiness. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. My goodness. Yeah. So many of our patients come in with depression or right. anxiety or whatever. And um, the, you know, the supplement or herb that I would recommend people experiment with is the adaptogen category in general, you know, but rhodiola is such a such an amazing herb for the depression anxiety um, types of health concerns because it is an adaptogen in that it is adaptive they call adaptogens that different types of herbs are categorized as adaptogens because they can have sort of two sides of the same function for example reishi mushroom if you have someone who gets sick all the time that means their immune system is subfunctional, and reishi mushroom can help bring that immunity up by increasing some of their immunoglobulins or whatever other mechanism. 
-hmm. But then in another case, you might have someone whose immune system is hyperactive, like a really reactive asthmatic, for example. Their immune system is going too much. Right. You can give them reishi mushroom and it will help quell their hyperactive immune response. So that is one of the reasons why they call certain herbs adaptogens because they're able to sort of adapt to what your body's needing in that time. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. A lot of the functions of adaptogens are not fully understood why they work that way. And what about anxiety? Same? It's same, yeah. I Anxiety and depression are so unique for each person. You might have someone list their symptoms of anxiety and it's a more of a depression depression picture and you might have people to list off their symptoms of depression and it might be more of an anxiety picture but in a lot of natural health um, philosophies we don't necessarily see them as too different mm. um, there are such very different presentations but a lot of the remedies and herbs that serve depression anxiety are similar rhodiola is um, helpful for both of those health concerns for some folks you know and you can treat those things with acupuncture too Right. Yeah, yeah you, you do. can help support the treatment of those things with acupuncture. Yeah, um, and massage and absolutely. Um, I think massage is actually a big one. Actually, Stephen Buner is a person that suggests getting Swedish massage once a week to uh, for Lyme patients because depression is such a symptom of Lyme, and uh, he suggests people just be t lovingly touched absolutely. once a week. I think you know that's an important thing to mention. Is just human contact is so necessary for our emotional sense. But also just movement for the body. You know, a lot of depression is a stagnation in the system. And to have another human just physically maneuver your whole body around is a very healthy thing. You know, it gets your lymph moving around. It gets your neurotransmitters spreading around. Mm. And, and that can be helpful. Speaking of movement, is there a particular exercise uh, that is highly regarded in Eastern East Asian medicine? Tai Chi. Tai Chi. Yeah, for sure. Because, and Tai Chi most simply put is you know kung fu in slow motion so it's a mm -hmm. meditative way of moving the body in very specific patterns that allow for all the joints to be um, utilized in their full range of motion and for all the the different areas of the body to receive circulation so you kind of do this very slow motion dance um, that looks very graceful and amounts to a strengthening and circulating benefit type of exercise. Do you know where you can do Tai Chi in LA? Yeah, there are um, some online forums. If you type online and look up some of the Tai Chi, people have like little postings of where they might meet for Tai Chi. Oh, cool. One of the coolest traditions about it in China is that people will just meet in parks and they'll just be big groups of people doing Tai Chi. And if you want to do it, you just show up and do it with them right um and a lot of people like it especially because you you can't really get hurt doing it you know so elderly people can do it people with injuries can do it sure you know incredibly strong fit athletic people can do it and benefit quite a bit from it as well right um there is a there there are some businesses i have seen um not to specifically mention but if you google tai chi there's one in silver lake there's a there's a um a place that does classes and, and things like that. Okay. What's also wonderful about Tai Chi is you can look up an online video of one of the forms. There's like a short form of Tai Chi, there's a longer form, and there's a few other um, subsets of the different styles of Tai Chi. But you can memorize one and, you know, watch the video on YouTube enough times to, to get it down and just practice it on your own. Cool. And then um, 
uh, one other thing before we have to wrap up. This is so, this has probably changed your life so much uh, since you've started the journey of learning acupuncture and herbs and you're so passionate about it and you have two children and I'm just really interested in, uh, if it, if you, if you do your children are very young, so how does this lifestyle affect them? Do you have them on high nutrition? Do you, can you do acupuncture to them or? <laughs> yeah, that's, thank you for asking about my family. Um, my son Mateo and daughter Mira are two and five and yeah, they, they receive what treatment they might be asking for. You know, we're not hardline, um, solely natural medicine, um, users in our home. You know, my daughter goes to the doctor regularly and gets her checkups and, you know, there, if there's something that herbs can't handle, we will use that other type of medicine, but they certainly take herbs as a first resort and have gotten acupuncture for sure. They have. My son has not, you know, he hasn't needed any, so right. we haven't given him any, but my daughter has had several high fevers before where we've needled her just one needle. Um, in a, in a point on the back of her neck. So, you know, kids, that one's not so bad because they don't really see it. Right, right. So they right. don't really mind so much. Um, but, yeah, we we practice what we preach. You know, I live exactly the way I tell people to live just so that when they're having a hard time with it, I can relate to how hard it is to eat well and to exercise. And Great. I, I definitely choose my health circumstance like everyone else does, you know, mm -hmm. where each day is a matter of, how much do I really want to get done versus how perfect do I want to be with my health and how much do I want to sleep versus how much do I want to stay up and do this other thing. And, right. you know, and so it's, it's a dance each day. You know, I just try and do enough of the things I say so right. that I can tell it's everyone else to do it. It's a dance each day. Each day is different. <laughs> each is. day is so different. Much. One more question is three suggestions to people with um, chronic illness, chronic pain or chronic illness. Um, thank you for asking that. I had some great suggestions. You said get acupuncture. Yeah, that was the number one thing <laughs> for reminding me. Yeah, definitely get acupuncture. Get acupuncture, um, mostly because I'm here talking about it now, you know, but get some, find an alternative health practitioner. You know, if you have chronic pain, try and find someone who you haven't seen before, um, just so that you're not in the, you can stay in a proactive state. Um, the second thing I'd recommend for people with chronic pain is to focus on trying to see what a low sugar diet does for their health. Mm, and um, that's illness too. Any Same, illness, yeah. any health any concern pain. whatsoever. As long as your body mass index and your health um, warrant it, going three months with eating a very, very low amount of sugar and grains can often starve out a lot of pathogenic factors in the system. You just want to make sure you're working with a health practitioner to safely... Um, adjust your diet nutritionally so that it's adequate for your for your needs. The third thing I would recommend for anyone with chronic pain, and I just want to say first that to pay respect to how hard it is to live on a day-to-day -day basis with a chronic illness. Um, that said, I would recommend that a person look at every aspect of their life to see if there is something from a possibly seemingly unrelated part of their life that there are maybe imbalances that, that could be looked at. For example, if you have a tremendous amount of physical pain, there might be an emotional or spiritual or dietary or professional issue that is contributing, not necessarily to the cause of that pain, but to the environment that's not allowing that pain to get better. Never a magic bullet. 
It's never freaking. No. That is the answer that nobody wants to hear. It really is, which is why I preface with the respect of where people are, because it is such a hard thing. But in chronic illness, it is unfortunately the case you have to pull yourself out. I really appreciate that. I appreciate that you preface with that because that was really hard for me when I was sick to, to hear people say things like that. Cause all I heard was it's your fault. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear what you're really saying. I just heard it's your fault. Fix your life. And, or you're making it up. It's psychological. Mm-hmm. Well, you were also having to juggle that. It can be a confusing cause you're hearing that from health professionals as well as loved ones. You, you are know, so with Lyme trying to separate those two is, is challenging. Yeah. yeah. But I appreciate that sensitivity and the, and, and I of course completely agree with that answer. It's just really unfortunate for people that are just beginning the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, it is spiritual, emotional, mental, and yeah. physical, but the journey will take them on the journey. Mm-hmm. There's no other way. So there's no other way. <laughs> yeah, you just have also to... not the thing you yeah. want to hear. Thank you, Michael, so much. If you're in L.A. or the area, you can come visit um, the Universal Family Wellness Clinic, and you can find them online at universalfamilyclinic.com. I will also link to their Facebook and um, to Michael's email below. Um, It is a sliding scale uh, acupuncturist and healing center, and I highly recommend getting treatment here they're pretty jam-packed so if you want to make an appointment um i'd recommend doing so sooner rather than later and uh thank you so much for all of that juicy information thank you jackie so much for having me on um i will say if someone does want to come visit our clinic do shoot me an email and mention that you heard this um about it in jackie's awesome podcast yes please do okay thank you everyone um please comment below or uh review on itunes and find this on any of your podcasting platforms and share it with your friends and jackie i do want to say also yeah. from all the listeners thank you for being so open about your very personal health journey oh. it's um, going to be very meaningful to the people listening that you would be so honest about your health journey thank you michael and i hope it does help and i will see everyone next week bye